0: Hi, you're listening to another episode of the Resilience Project Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Bachmeyer. All people need relationship to feel safe, loved, and connected. In this conversation, Matt talks about his work over the past 30 years to promote care and caregiving. You'll hear a lot about what he learned from one of his earliest mentors, John McGee, and how McGee's gentle teaching principles are still relevant in the work of trauma-informed care today.
1: I'm Matt Breiner been working in the field of developmental disabilities uh, probably close to 35 years now. Began my journey in this, just stumbled into it when I was in graduate school in clinical psychology. A psychologist asked for some help to administer uh, intelligence tests and behavioral tests to folks living in group homes. Back then, you had to have assessments every three years to qualify to get funding. And he would pack up his car on the weekends and go out around southwest Ohio and Asked for some graduate students. he go assess folks living in these group homes and, and fell into that. Loved doing that, driving everywhere, seeing these folks. So you are
0: going to group homes and institutions? Yep.
1: Okay. Back back in those days, there weren't a lot of options. Um, mostly these large congregate living places. We'd go and do some uh, intelligence testing, do a adaptive behavioral assessment. And then if there were ongoing issues, we'd write up a behavior support kind of plan. Very much shaping behavior, conditioning behavior, no talk about anybody's history or past or what's going on with them. It was simply, they're doing something bad. They need it to stop. And the big revelation when I first started was, well, maybe we should be teaching him something to do instead. The big words were differential reinforcement of other behavior. That was a brand new concept back in the mid-80s, late-80s. Up until then, it was all extinction-based behavior.
0: Do you think it was because a lot of people were viewed as their disability label back then? It was very medical model? Diagnosis, label, treatment.
1: Absolutely. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, I think the entire system back then was the medical model, physician-driven. You had to check off boxes according to the medical community so people could get funding and get approval to live in places. So yeah. Any psychological services needed to look an awful lot like the medical services. Yeah.
0: So here you are, <laughs> we just had 30 years.
1: Oh, at least 30. <laughs> and I'm
0: sure you've had various roles. What's kept you passionate about staying and, and doing the work you do? It,
1: it's been the people themselves that, and then the, the caregivers that surround them. They're all good people and they all are there for a reason. I would get calls. I came through mostly the behavioral side and the residential side of this to help in those situations where uh, things were out of control for the caregivers and, and for the individuals. And those people, I, I don't know, maybe it's uh, something in me that those are the folks Both sets of people that I'm attracted to, that I like to work with, that make the most sense to me. Uh, This just...
0: challenging situations, people who maybe have a lot going on that is under the surface. That's what Uh, you're saying?
1: Yep. And and what what we found out, Katie, is, of course, then where you got issues with specific people, there's usually something else going on where they're living Mm -hmm. with either the caregivers or if they're home with mom and dad or with them or in the very close community, somebody usually someplace there's something going on. Mm-hmm. And that just is very interesting to me to try to help specifically the, the individual people by helping the bigger group of people around that person. Mm-hmm. One of the people I've learned from, John McGee, would say, we're the ones who have to make the adaptations and the, the changes for the people we support because we've got the most skills and abilities, which makes a ton of sense to me uh, now. Back in the day, I had no idea what he was talking about. Over time, I've learned that that's pretty true. That
0: Well, you, you kind of bring up something I think is important. Sometimes when people are going through something tough, there's more going on than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of investigation there and in listening, mm-hmm. deeper listening that needs to be done. What are some examples of things that you have seen show up as a way to communicate this something's wrong? Sometimes Gosh,
1: right. I think the severity of what somebody's doing is directly proportional to the the amount of discomfort they're feeling. So if somebody does a little something, we all kind of do it. We all fidget, pick at our fingernails, all the way up to you know the life threatening kinds of behavior. When you stop and learn about what's going on with a person more than just on the surface more than what I learned 35 years ago in graduate school about just the surface behavior you usually find event or events that are just as serious as what you're seeing mm-hmm. it, it, it almost happens every every time when you learn about somebody's history or you f- ask what happened to them rather than why are you doing this? Just a totally different set of questions that it makes sense why somebody might cut on their arms or might use drugs or drink a whole lot. Or for folks who who, who aren't as mobile and uh, aren't as verbal, you know, they might uh, bang their head on the floor or the wall. Or just about any any behavioral thing you see could be an indicator. It just kind of matters when you get to learn about the person.
0: Yeah, and it's about changing ourselves sometimes versus changing the person. You brought up John McGee, which I think is a really good person to, to kind of dive deeper into what his body of work was mm-hmm. because he speaks directly to caregivers and teachers and parents and people who are in the position to be carers for somebody who has maybe a lot going on under the surface. And so what his framework is I think would be really interesting to talk about today.
1: Yeah, John really went to the um, heart of uh, what it means to be a caregiver. He took those words very, those two words, and and combined them, and they mean a whole lot in his thinking about giving care. It's not about outcomes or goals or processes, uh, especially for people who are struggling to get through a day. It's about something else. And when I first came across his work in the early 80s, you can see that that doesn't go very well with the words I used earlier about extinction-based behaviors and operant conditioning. Those two worlds, I don't even know if they coexisted very well. There were just totally different mindsets. One didn't care about the, the the classical conditioning ideas. Didn't care about what was going on inside you. They simply wanted the surface behaviors to to change.
0: And was that working back then when you were in the, when you were in the <laughs> early stages working. of your career? Was that Was that effective? Um,
1: <laughs> I mean, it it could be because we were usually bigger guys who could move faster than yeah. the, the individuals and so we could make people do what we wanted.
0: So you're talking about restraining people um, or needing to kind of coerce well, or
1: hand over hand assistance. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's yeah. what you, you saw a lot of programs written for hand over hand assistance. Okay. And if it escalated, yes, we ended up, you know, using physical restraints and sometimes mechanical ones.
0: I just want to bring it into the present-day context, too, because I, not too long ago, was trained at a, at a summer camp in Seattle, and I was trained on restraints um, then, yep. and that was about 10 years ago. Yep. What what type of effectiveness was, were you
1: seeing? <laughs> it, it, you can stop an immediate situation. If somebody's trying to get into traffic, yeah, a big guy can hold a smaller person, but really it's only about that immediate situation, there is no long-term behavioral change. There's no long-term growth or, you know, relationship or anything. It's simply in that moment, it stops something and keeps somebody safe.
0: So I can imagine that that showing up to a work week and that is your mode of operation being exhausted and that that person really losing a sense of connection with the world a sense of power in their own uh, feelings. That's, that, a, that's how that would have felt.
1: Yeah, that's a great summary. It comes down to, I think you said two very important words: power and control. A lot of those, especially in the old days, and, and there's still now places and wherever you go, you can find programs set up that run on power and control. That a good day is one where boxes get checked. Programs are run, outcomes are achieved, um, and everybody went home safely, not looking any deeper than that. And that can be, you know, in the best world that that happens because there's reciprocal relationships, people know and respect each other, people feel safe uh, and loved. Sometimes, though, you do it because you're scared to death, you know, that if you don't do it, something bad's going to happen to you. And when that happens enough time over enough years, you just don't care anymore. Um, when you have a thousand caregivers in your life and, you know, 998 of them took something away from you or world stops making sense to you, I think. And then for me, it makes an awful lot of sense in what we start to see in people, that if the world doesn't make any sense, then anything is fair game. Yeah. From what we see in the people, from what we see from the caregivers, it just gets pretty crazy pretty quickly. Yeah. And into that world, John McGee drops these, these concepts of uh, caregiving, being somebody who cares, trying to get...
0: Putting the care back in the word caregiver. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. <laughs> and it sounds easy and simple. Yeah. But it's not either of those things because as a culture and as a, a group and a field, we don't teach that stuff. We teach all the other pieces. We teach programs and outcomes and goals. And yeah, we we do talk about maybe there's a medical issue. You you know, somebody's got a hurt tooth. Maybe they're rubbing that jaw. They got a headache. Maybe they're tapping their forehead. Maybe that's oftentimes as as deep as we get. We never talk about emotional or uh, even spiritual. I'll use the word pain that Mm -hmm. might come from a living a, a lifetime of pretty crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. All in the name, though, of a habilitation and rehabilitation and programming that we all get paid to do. I think everybody who comes to this wants to do the right thing. It just gets kind of distorted and over time shifted a whole lot.
0: Yeah, I think that's so beautifully put that people who come into this work who want to be caregivers aren't coming into it because they wanna be bad caregivers or because they wanna treat people poorly, but sometimes what happens is they get put into a machine that kind of spits Mm. them out as a cog and that cog looks a certain way and it really doesn't, it separates itself from the person that they're supposed to be caring for. And something John McGee said was that words like client or behavior Mm. put me above a person and enter into a process of manipulation with rewards and punishments (laughs) instead of seeing behavior, quote-unquote, as a sign of discomfort, hurt, or trauma. So it, it really already even sometimes the language we use, client behavior, these medical terms that you mentioned, like what what it, what was that again? Or distinct uh,
1: extinction. Yeah. It, extinction based, yeah. Yeah,
0: that that, <laughs> that 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 I mean, really, who's the extinguisher in that? Yeah. It, oh, it's me. So yeah. I am in control of this person's way of acting, and actually, it kind of also puts some shame or, or feeling of failure on a person who is in the caregiving position, why isn't this working? Why aren't they listening to me? I'm not doing my job. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that can bring up our own issues inside of, <laughs> of feeling powerless or right. feeling, feeling powerless or ignored or these triggers that we might have in, our, in ourselves. And so he, he went so deep as to what type of words we use matter.
1: Again, his concepts are pretty basic. He says people have to feel safe and loved and become loving and then you can engage with the world. And we're finding out through all the trauma-based information that safety is, everybody assumes, oh yeah, everybody's safe. I think we're finding out more and more that is not the case. Mm-hmm. Even among people who um, are, are called typical, um, you know, the ACEs study found out that most of us have some type of trauma in our past and a few of us have a lot of trauma in our past and we are supposed to be the normal people or the typical people Mm -hmm. Um, and if if we have trouble making sense out of that ourselves imagine how that would be for some people who have um, less skills and less abilities again what looks pretty crazy might make an awful lot of sense when you stop and find out what happened to somebody
0: yeah I mean it's it's looking at kind of a new representation of the person, is what you're talking about, and and seeing, having insights into maybe some of their vulnerabilities or possible traumatic life events that, that kind of maybe shape who that person is in your mind as a caregiver.
1: Exactly. I think that's exactly right, because some of John's work is that until we stop and do that, we're going to be locked into this. I'll say battle with the person about their behavior yeah. forever. Yeah. Um, and they are the people we support. Know one thing for sure, we're going to keep coming and doing the same stuff over and over, and they're going to keep doing the same stuff over and over because it's all they know to do. And until until that something changes in that that interaction, it's going to go on forever. You're right, Katie a bit ago You said that's just got to be terrible uh, going to work thinking, here it goes again. And that's kind of where I was in my journey after a few years of doing this that I finally said, there's got to be something that makes more sense. thought I was a pretty smart guy, and then I knew how to write pretty good back then behavior programs. For most folks, that was good enough. But for this subset of uh, this this other group of people that I kept ending up working with, I had to change them because Uh obviously either I wrote terrible programs. I like to think I didn't do that. Uh, that I, uh, There had to be something bigger going on and I needed to figure out yeah. for myself what that might be. And at that time, that's when I stumbled into the world of John or, yeah, I stumbled into or he stumbled into mine or mm-hmm. there are some different ways to start to think about this. That now I think the trauma-informed care and is catching up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, John would say things like, we need to try to get to memories underneath memories. And that's mm. a lot of the trauma work. People have to get through those pieces. John never used those words in that way, but I think that's what he was getting at.
0: Yes, but, yeah, and, and maybe it was just a little before its time and before the science could back it uh, up.
1: Yeah. Uh, now, he could be very scientific, and he would use words and concepts that I couldn't keep up with. I, that's why I think he did a great job when he said... People need to feel safe and loved and then become loving and engaged. And he said caregiving boils down to some very basic things. It's not very complicated. You know, we've got our hands, we've got our words, our eyes, how we use them and when we use them and how we how we do that. Um, again, he took some pretty high highfalutin concepts and turned them into some uh, very basic pieces that make me think all the time like, why couldn't I think of that stuff? Yeah, uh, you know, you have well, to be that smart to figure that out.
0: Well, what I what I find with with some of this stuff, though, is that it's like we know that intuitively, but it's what you said earlier, which is where we get trained on uh, on outcomes and checking boxes, and we get yeah. trained to forget all the things yeah. that we know intuitively, and um, and that's one of the other aspects of of John's work is that it's it. it it actually takes some personal development of the caregiver that isn't professional it's personal mm-hmm. so you know it's it's about kind of developing strategies in challenging moments for ourselves to show up with unconditional care for that person without saying you know if you act this way i'm going to be upset or if you act this way i'm going to allow myself to be triggered And Feel all those negative emotions like powerlessness or whatever. We're going to be genuinely present and that actually is that Is a skill of what a caregiver truly truly can bring to any moment is being present with a person And and that is kind of maybe what you're saying is just getting back into our bodies and getting back into our instincts as Human to human
1: I think you're on the right path with that it boils down to and John would say this when he would come and visit He would say um, you're going to be here eight hours. You can go be one way with people. Kind of just what we talked about, you know, hey, it's time to clean the kitchen, hey, it's time to take out the garbage. You can still get all that done, mm-hmm. but you can also do it in a way where the person feels safe and loved and wants to be with you. Where I first spent a lot of time with John was when um, a residential agency hired me to come on to help with a lot of their written paperwork, Um, they'd gotten out of compliance with um, the federal Medicaid program, and were under a very short time frame to change the way things look. I had a particular skill set that let me fix that paper, um, and while that was happening, the administration of the agency was going to change the culture, and they brought in John McGee. So here I am trying to fix this paper, spending some time with this man who's saying, paper doesn't matter. He said, don't worry about it. I kept saying, well, John, we'll be out of business. He says, well, you fix that stuff. We'll start over here, and when you get done, come and join us. <laughs> and so I would fix the paper, but really I was just doing kind of, and what John was doing, he was starting to live his his words, is that we'd all be out there. I'd be fixing paper, but he'd be out there doing what people call his magic he would come out and, and show people be there for an eight-hour shift what it means to show people they're, they're safe and loved mm-hmm. um, so I'm watching out of the corner of my eye just trying to figure out what's this crazy guy doing this you know how do you write a program that says you're going to help somebody feel safe and loved try putting that into Medicaid language so you can check a box exactly. at the end of the day yes
0: yeah. it's hard to do
1: it's very hard to do what we did, though, was simply write that into everything we did by a paragraph that said how important it was for this person. We described just a little bit about where they came from, that in the past, there were some, some bad things had happened to them. And we worked with our Medicaid folks, so they would give us a little bit of time to try and build on that with them saying if you've been through that it makes sense what you see so we're going to begin every interaction with them by taking 5 or 10 minutes and just we would talk softly and gently just trying to slow things down just take the time and it seems really kind of silly to do that before you help somebody brush their teeth we did that across the board though and in a lot of these places where people lived there were 13 things we had to do with somebody every day so we knew we were going to have at least 13 times we could take five or 10 minutes of helping somebody feel safe and loved and then say hey let's let's take the toothbrush let's get this done it wasn't immediate one week was one way and the next week it was and honestly Kay, what we found out was um, a lot of the caregivers found this really difficult they they didn't want to do this so they self-selected out a few got helped to select out but most of them said this isn't for me I I, I can't do this I'm I'm not going to do this so then we also began to hire people and ask some questions in an interview about this way of being together
0: yeah it sounds like that was maybe a a good outcome was that you kind of were able to have some healthy turnover Mm -hmm. and start hiring people for this new sort of job description which included gentle teaching methods that
1: right and connecting and and trying to build good memories with people and you're going to spend eight hours with somebody it's going to be one way or the other Mm -hmm. um, and, and finding people who are interested in the other way And slowly we we got to do that. Uh, Again, I can't say it was all great because still overnight people who lived, you know, 30 and 40 years of um, institutional life aren't going to trust us pretty quickly.
0: Which is a good survival skill.
1: Correct. You know, that's what we know about trauma is that it makes sense for the person. Yeah. They lived another day. That's one more done for them. And that whatever these folks brought to us and actually still bring this is you know still very relevant today they get through another day Mm -hmm. Um, us taking the time to try and try to get beneath that took its took its time we over time saw a gradual decrease in a lot of the really uh, the stuff where people were getting hurt the caregivers and the and the people who lived in the homes. Because anytime you're trying to help somebody physically, people get hurt. We were doing less and less of that. When you approach people now, they started to think, well, maybe they're not going to grab me this time. Maybe they are going to sit on the floor and just gently touch my hand and and speak kind words. Before, whenever somebody approached them, pretty much it was going to be something physical was going to happen and if they didn't physically resist well that got done pretty quickly and everybody went on with it Mm -hmm. but i think earlier you had said it it clearly wasn't something they wanted to do Mm -hmm. we began to see people wanting and would tolerate us being near them before in the old classical behavior we had conditioned people to see us as something to avoid
0: yeah Yeah, and I can only imagine, you know, where any type of physical touch with somebody could actually lead to even worse physical violence or even sexual abuse when you start to, as a caregiver, see yourselves as somebody who sort of owns this physical body in front of you and you can do whatever you want to it. I wonder if it could have been a a doorway out of some other really terrible, harmful things that caregivers could have um, committed.
1: And undoubtedly, when you find out about people's histories, yeah, very dark, very dark things. And it, then it makes sense again. What happened to them? It makes sense.
0: You know, and I think you're also talking a lot, Matt, about just this idea of connecting the caregiver back to their fundamental motivation. What was their fundamental motivation about getting into the work? Right. And that this is this is actually a way to have more work satisfaction at the end of the day than showing up disgruntled or frustrated
1: um yeah when when you're going in expecting it's going to be eight hours of physical confrontation and physical um control
0: mm-hmm.
1: who wants to go to work for that you know especially if you're working in a place where you don't even have a, another caregiver with you that there's nobody to help you help make sense out of what's going on that the caregivers, I think, at that point are pretty vulnerable too. And mm-hmm. if we don't teach this set of—it's oh, not skills, but it's just let people know there is a different way, and you—you yeah. you can get things done. Now, it's not going to be immediate because, again, most of our folks still to this day, the most people we support see it as an interaction. Okay, you're going to come in, you want something from me, you're going to get it and go away. I don't think a lot of folks experience that connection. That oh, here comes one of my favorite caregivers. They maybe don't know, but I feel safe with him. I I can be with him. This person cares about me. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, if that's all that happened, hey, great. Mm -hmm. A lot of our caregivers don't feel like then they've done their job because we've taught them. You haven't because you can't check all those boxes. You can't get all those programs and outcomes delivered. But maybe you did something far more important. Maybe that day you just got to connect Um, with somebody at a, at a deeper, in a way they feel safe and and loved. I love, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this. Some agencies have a code where you didn't get around to that goal that day. Some of them sometimes put it on the individual. They refuse to do it or um, not able, NA not able to do it. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. checking that box instead of saying, yeah, we got it done and going going down deep. You know, John used to say we have to go low and slow and go down deep to to get to those memories underneath memories. So people want to be with us mm-hmm. and want to spend the time doing anything with you then that is possible and it can be done. Uh, it's not easy.
0: Yeah, and I didn't mean to sidetrack us from your earlier story because I think what you're getting back to is this idea that you started with this paperwork <laughs> problem. <laughs>
1: right. Well,
0: it, it sounds like outcomes... And paperwork are so, sometimes a roadblock.
1: So what we tried to do, Katie, was um, try to look at what it would look like if the person we are working with felt safe with us and loved by us wanted, and engaged with us. And we started to write, <laughs> this didn't go too well in the beginning, a um, person might smile. So who who has a toothbrushing program that isn't about how you hold the toothbrush or how long it's in your mouth or how much toothpaste... But the fact that they smiled when the caregiver was with them, um, those didn't go over too well with our Medicaid friends, as you might have guessed. Um, so, again, we had to keep working with them about um, what what could be okay. And we just ended up saying, okay, while I'm with the person, they'll stay with me. And they thought, okay, that's at least if they were standing in the room, then they could see the interaction and they could feel comfortable then check matt stayed with the person and the person stayed there the whole time and didn't try to leave what they said is people smile for lots of reasons
0: oh right you're never going to know correct
1: you're never going to know that they're happy that you're with them but you can't deny that if i'm trying to help you feel safe and loved i can only do that if we're together so you can stay with me while we do this That's two thumbs up. Mm -hmm. Um, We negotiated that over several (laughs) tries of getting this right with them. And to their credit, they they bought into that. What they didn't like is that everything we wrote, every program, and that's what they were back in those days, um, in the 13 life areas, all looked the same. Because whether you were learning how to cook or put your clothes on, the first five or 10 minutes were all about we're gonna be together and then we're gonna complete this task and all I want you to do is stay with me. And that's a totally different mindset than when you're teaching caregivers, okay, here's a new program for Matt to learn how to put on his shoes. Mm -hmm. We really didn't care if Matt put on his shoes. We cared that he stayed with that caregiver, Mm -hmm. that he felt comfortable enough just to stay there. And it's a cultural change then. If everything you hear is, we just want them to be with you. Don't worry about the paper. That's what we paid some people to come and do is put it on paper to capture that. So it, it was captured. Your role, and it was all of ours, because we all worked there every day in these homes, was help people feel safe and loved. Ideally, the ultimate goal was when we came in, they'd come towards us. That's what we would tell these reviewers that, and they looked at us like we were crazy. Like, of course they want to come be with you. But, yeah. You know, most people, you were just like a piece of furniture to them.
0: Because what you were saying before is that people who are under somebody's care who is not caring learned. To stay away yeah, just and so the just even the sheer fact that the culture changed and shifted enough in the caregiving realm that caregivers were now seen as safe was uh, a the, culture shift
1: it was not easy and if a caregiver left and a new one came in who didn't believe in us it quickly went back to the old way but we could tell something wasn't right then yeah because we started to see some of the old stuff come back with our individuals and with the staff. You could start to tell the words people were using or if you just came in and watched the beginning of a time when people either came home or, or were getting ready to leave in the morning, you could tell pretty quickly the relationships among the people who live there and the caregivers. It's a very fragile relationship and it needs tending and you had to watch it very carefully, which then changed how we as an agency came together. We started having food at every one of our gatherings um, it's really hard to be mad at somebody that you're having a bowl of soup or a sandwich with breaking bread and being together we had to take care of ourselves support each other mm-hmm. so we could support the, the people living in the homes mm-hmm. um, it all began to make sense then mm-hmm. um, but i'll tell you it took it was a good seven years of pretty hard work
0: with the Medicaid going back and forth on what the documentation could look like in a person's home.
1: Absolutely. Okay. We, we it got to the point where we got an attorney, went up to Columbus, and sat on the thirtieth floor of some building, and they had four or five people on one side, we had four or five on our side, and we negotiated. Give us time, please, to do this. I mm-hmm. mean, got to that level mm-hmm. because they kept pounding on us at it didn't look like everything else they're familiar with they couldn't give us approval because it was different
0: and, uh, and it gets right back to where you first started and, and how an md used to have to sign off on all the paperwork <laughs> and you know this very medical model of looking at people and the care that they receive and paperwork is a very big part of culture as much as we'd like to say it doesn't matter, we can ignore it, we can forget about it, well, it's, for one, it's the way that things are just funded right now. And until that changes, we have to deal with it somehow, and, and it, it is the mindset you step into your work with is what's on that paperwork. It can set the tone, so that's good work. Did, was John McGee, at the end of the day, did he did he put a stamp of approval on all that <laughs> paperwork business?
1: Uh, he would say, Matt, that's what your job is. Now go fix it. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, he, in our field, you know, if it's not written, it didn't happen. Now try to, to take these ideas and write those so you can prove it did happen. We The got ideas very,
0: of being safe and loved. Safe
1: and yeah. loved. And, yeah. and we... Um, we got very creative in capturing that. At one point, we did take some pictures of folks. Of course, we got all the approvals and everything. But and we got pictures of them with caregivers. And I'm not kidding you, Kate. They were actually smiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, families, when we shared them, just started crying. Mm-hmm. They thought their son or daughter or brother or sister would never smile again. That's what we wanted. Um, and we just then had to, to write that in a way that would let us continue for another year so mm-hmm. i don't know if he ever john ever gives his stamp of approval for any paper and <laughs> he would come and take stuff off the walls and because again we're at somebody's home but you know here's all these policies procedures programs he'd take them all and I, know, I never knew what he did with them i get so mad at him because we knew that's what the surveyors were going to see but uh, he thought he was doing the right thing <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, I can see the tension there. It's really important. It's an important thing to have somebody who's going to be the naysayer of paperwork and, (laughs) you know, behavior plans on a on a person's living room wall. You know, this is their home. That makes ton of sense. Absolutely, um, it it does seem like it's a called for thing, and that the more of us who have awareness around that, maybe the more even more paperwork and culture can shift.
1: I'm holding out great hope in this new ISP that they're coming out with. I think the person-centered nature of what's important to and important for starts to get to some of this. Uh, I really like that you don't have to have specific goals anymore for toothbrushing and uh, getting dressed. That, that's all done somewhere else, that you can start to take these very basic issues for people that if it's important for them, Um, And to them, you know, that we can start to say, hey, take a few minutes, connect with Matt, you'll know you're connected by uh, something you see when he does this, Um, that a lot of the junk of programming gets pushed somewhere else.
0: Right, and and I think it's to john's credit to say that this paperwork can be distributed far and wide and it isn't until people are actually trained on it and made it as a value whoever that person is that's maybe the house manager or the program manager or the supervisor is really living by the paperwork right it's modeling what that looks like not on paper right so <laughs> both have to exist right um
1: Try to, get to be through, true. Yeah, try to get through any review today without paper and you're in trouble. Right. You know, if you don't have your medication records or you don't have something to show, you did some work with somebody, uh, boy, you're going mean, to be in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are still creative people out there figuring these out, keeping the, the relationship piece, uh, remembering that some of our folks really have had pretty traumatic histories and that What happened to them really is the most important piece, and our caregiving role is to help people through that.
0: Mm -hmm. There's two more points that I want to make sure we just touch on a little bit, and and one is that once you start helping a person feel safe, loved, and connected, then it's possible for a person to develop some of their own personal qualities in a Mm -hmm. way that's like you know they're trusting in the world. Do you see that to be true as well?
1: Right. uh, The the last piece in in safe love and John's... Steps. I don't know if they're steps or in John's life Are safe, love, loving and engaged. And then once the world starts to make sense to you, once you know you are safe and you are respected and that people care about you, then you want to reach out. Then you want to be a part of what's going on. The world's interesting to you. And clearly that's what makes life worth living. That's the ultimate uh, piece is where people feel good enough that the world makes sense and they want to be a part of it
0: and it's not just with the caregiver at that point he's he talks about a community a community of caregivers a community that you're engaged in and and those caregivers are not all paid people they can be just ordinary community members
1: it's kinda nice that the, the field in general isn't catching up again and they really hold up these other pieces of what's the family bring what's the community bring what's out there for somebody else because that is a, a full life. That's what's mm-hmm. a good life. Mm-hmm. Um, if you only live in our world where it's just services delivered, then everything we've talked about, in quotes, will make sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you've got a full life, then the Medicare world is just this tiny little tiny piece. Tiny little
0: piece, yeah, it's and, a and sliver of it.
1: Yep, and that's when,
0: yeah.
1: but that is, <laughs> you know, is, we, we've done 40 years like this, and yeah. it's gonna take um, a lot of time and effort of good people remembering that
0: so. yeah yeah and the, and the the last thing I want to touch on is that he brings up the idea of team support that it's not just one person doing this but it is a team of people who are all on board and everybody in this person's life who is there for support is doing it under this umbrella of safe love of
1: loving and engaged
0: and engaged it, so
1: and it also starts to sound an awful lot like self-care work as well yeah that you've got to be with people who support this or you got to be one terrifically strong individual if you're going to try to change the world and you're by yourself it I guess it can be done, but it's a whole lot easier when there are people around you helping you mm-hmm. when you can say I'm tired I need a break or Please help. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's some of the pieces of self-care is recognize where you are in your journey mm-hmm. and where other people are and getting together, having somebody to at least one other person in your life that uh, can help you with it. Same thing. It mm-hmm. sounds, again, John wasn't using trauma-informed language, but I think he was talking very similar.
0: Yeah, and I love that because it, it it's when you're in... A community of other Unity. people doing the same type of work when you do go with a problem or feeling that's you're struggling it doesn't go back to well why don't you try this type of restraint next time <laughs> right it's actually going to a community of people we're all saying the same things around yeah let's get back to the values of what this is and how yeah. can we how can we dig even deeper and the resilience project as a whole talks a lot about how once you learn empathy for someone, you actually build a lot of it for yourself mm. as well. And, mm-hmm. that, and, and that can be all about self-care, yep. right? What do you think Some a piece of advice that you've been given is that's been really helpful?
1: <laughs> it comes from John Miggie. Um He would just say, <laughs> when he was there teaching us and going through the motions with us, he turned to me and said, the hell do you think you're doing? Just get out there and start. <laughs> and that, that made the most sense to me. You know, just get out there and try. I, I don't know what I was waiting for and why, why I was sitting in the chair. He's like, get out there and do it. Because, again, at the end of the day, Katie, you, you got to spend that time somehow. You might as well be nice and be kind and just try something different. You learn that way and it's, it's just worth it.
0: it. It gets back again to, don't just hide behind the paperwork. Don't just pull out this person's file and sit there at the dining room table in front of them and document. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do the work, be present, right? Don't be just- present. Yeah. Oh.
1: That's a, one of one of our tools is our presence, you're right. Yeah. Just, and, and you can either be engaged, helping somebody feel safe and loved, or not. That's what it comes down to, so. Yeah. Hopefully we're giving people permission to make that choice.
0: Yeah. I think you did. I hope so. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check out the show notes for more links and resources.